listening to the Keeping It Juicy podcast. You made squeezing nutrition. Don't forget to subscribe so you can join us every Tuesday for a brand new episode. And add us on Facebook and Instagram at Keeping It Juicy Podcast. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Welcome to episode 23. Did someone say shots? Shot, 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 shot. Everybody! <laughs> okay. Okay. We're, we're excited for this one. If you haven't guessed, this one is going to be about alcohol. Um, but before we get into that, I do want to talk about uh, this article that I found for our new Nutrition in the News segment. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to post the link in the show notes for the entire article. I'm just taking a super quick snippet out. And it's from a website called vnews.com, and the title of the article is A Former Corn Syrup Lobbyist is Drafting New Federal Dietary Rules. Seriously. Oh, that's fun. (laughs) So these are kind of snippets from the article, and you can read the whole thing, but yeah. It says, Dietary Guidelines for Americans will be issued again in 2020, and with Trump in charge, Many of the people drafting the guidelines have questionable background questionable backgrounds. Oh, for fuck's sake. Big surprise there. <laughs> and um I'm gonna try to say her name right. Kaylee Tacticaz. T K A T K A C Z. I'm just gonna call it Tacaz. 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 So she was brought on board in 2017 and her background includes being paid by the Corn Refiners Association to influence federal policy in flavor of soda pop, and she lobbied on behalf of the SNAC International, which is a trade group representing manufacturers of potato chips and other junk foods. And Trump says to Kaz's past lobbying efforts on behalf of the food and beverage companies make her, quote-unquote, uniquely qualified to help grade official or to help guide official policy. No, it does not. What the hell? I know. It's horrible. It's so horrible. What a vague statement. Trump doesn't know anything. This company is not a business. It's right. You know, the nutrition guidelines for Americans do not need this. No. They really don't. And... The article does kind of, it talks about a little bit more about how these guidelines are going to include um, nursing moms and children, which I guess they didn't include before. I thought they did, but I don't know. Maybe they're going to go into a new layer of that. And it talks briefly about some of the other people on this board. And the author of this article did try to reach out to some of those people on the board and they didn't reply. So this makes my blood boil. It's yeah. Not a lot of the people on the board for the dietary guidelines have, uh, obviously some have qualified backgrounds, but unfortunately it's not looking good. (laughs) Are there anyone that are dietitians or even have PhDs or something in nutrition? I'm sure there are. I didn't, I didn't research like the whole list of people on the board, I just found this one article, and it's bad enough that even one person 
is a former corn syrup lobbyist. Oh, God. It's just conflict of interest, and the author of this article also reached out to some, like some, I think he reached out to someone who's an RD and is a professor at a university, and Uh she made a comment saying, like, it's very challenging to find people who have not had some sort of endorsement from a large corporation in the past. Mm -hmm. So she was almost saying, like, this is nothing new. Which sucks. <laughs> yeah, it does. So and it's a bad, it's it's no good. It's bad. Corporate and capitalistic America at its finest. I know. It just, yeah, go read the article, but, and the 2020 guidelines are going to be very interesting. And tell us your thoughts. Yeah. Please do. <laughs> so... With that jump-starting our episode, let's get lit with shots of knowledge. Do you get what I did there? (laughs) Yeah, I did. Okay, Okay, then. (laughs) So what is alcohol? We'll be diving all into that for the rest of the episode. So alcohol, also known as ethyl alcohol or ethanol, is a psychoactive drug, quote-unquote, consumed in thousands of varieties of alcoholic drinks. It's also used for medical purposes as well, but for the sake of simplicity, we'll only be talking about the kind that people use to get lit. (laughs) Right. I mean, if you've taken any sort of chemistry or biochemistry course, you know that there are a lot of different types of alcohol, but for the purposes of today, we're just going to talk about one. (laughs) What are the different forms of alcohol? So as we know, alcoholic drinks do vary in strength. Beers contain about 5% alcohol. Some can contain up to 12, which I don't think tastes very good. And then spirits like vodka usually contain about 35% and wine is somewhere in between. And bottles and cans of alcohol should have the information on how much alcohol they contain as a percentage. You know some craft beers have alcohol percentages of upwards of 12%. You know that, right? Oh, yeah. I Yeah. Yikes. They're insane. And, yeah. Yeah. So Some how do... Spirits are, like, 90% alcohol, too. <laughs> oh, oh, man. That's not even start on Everclear. Anyway. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so how does alcohol work as a drug in the body and the brain? So alcohol is a nervous system depressant meaning it works by slowing down parts of the brain. Areas that it can affect includes those that control inhibition, your thoughts, your perception, your attention, your judgment, your memories, your even your sleep, and your coordination. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's why <laughs> they have you walk the line if you ever get pulled over for that fun stuff. Right. Yes. So <laughs> how is alcohol metabolized? So, although alcohol passes through the digestive system, it does not undergo extensive digestion within the digestive tract in the same way that food does. So, when alcohol reaches the upper gastrointestinal tract, a significant portion is actually directly absorbed into the bloodstream through the lining of the stomach and the small intestines. So, once it's in the bloodstream, it is carried throughout the body and travels to the brain. So basically, as we know, alcohol is a toxin 
duh, we should all know this by now. So because it's a toxin, your body needs to get rid of it first. You know, it basically puts all your other metabolic processes on hold to take care of the toxin. So the absorption process may be somewhat slowed down when there is food in the stomach. And food can absorb the alcohol in some ways, and it can block it from coming into contact with the stomach lining, and it can slow the transit from the stomach into the duodenum, which is the first portion of the small intestine, where otherwise it is rapidly absorbed into the bloodstream. I mean, I'm sure you've all done self-experimentation on this or experienced (laughs) it in the past. If you drink alcohol on an empty stomach, it it you feel it quick but if you've got a big belly full of food you can usually handle yourself a little bit better <laughs> mm-hmm. so how long does it take for alcohol to actually kick in a healthy person will actually feel the effects of a drink within 15 to 45 minutes most men with little to no tolerance will begin to show symptoms of intoxication when their blood alcohol levels reach and the ability to drive will be significantly impaired at 0.07%. At 0.1%, they will clearly be intoxicated. A woman who weighs 150 pounds will reach a blood alcohol content of 0.1% if she consumes about four drinks in an hour. So That's a lot. (laughs) I mean, I've done it before, so... (laughs) Clearly... But, yeah, for, I mean, it depends. I mean, if it's for Bud Lights, which are, like, 2% alcohol. So there's a lot of variance in this. Mm -hmm. But it's just crazy to think of, you know, your blood being, you know, 0.1% concentrated with alcohol. Like, I don't know that. That can't be good for you. No, no. (laughs) Not good. So... What are the effects of alcohol? And a lot of these are common sense, but we're going to talk about um, a little bit more of the biology of that. So Mm -hmm. alcohol use constricts metabolism and endurance. So drinking alcohol constricts your aerobic metabolism and endurance. So Mm -hmm. alcohol use constricts your metabolism. Like I mentioned before, when you consume alcohol, it's a toxin, so your body does slow down some of its other processes to take care of the alcohol or the toxin. So mm-hmm. you're not metabolizing your food and calories quite as conveniently as you otherwise would. Mm-hmm. So believe it or not, alcohol holds very little nutritional value. And the relatively high calories in alcohol, it actually has uh, 7 calories per gram they're not available to be used as energy for our muscles. Mm-hmm. And alcohol calories are not converted to glycogen, which is a form of stored carbohydrates. So they are not, they cannot be used as a form of energy at all, whether it's for just normal basal metabolic function or for even exercise. And each alcoholic beverage contains maybe 100 to 150 empty calories depends how big your drink is and uh, there's a lot of different factors so the body excess calories from alcohol your body will treat those as fat and it will convert it into fat not into a readily 
usable form of energy? Alcohol use inhibits absorption of nutrients. So not only is alcohol devoid of proteins, minerals, and vitamins, it actually inhibits the absorption of usage of vital nutrients such as thiamine, also known as vitamin B1, vitamin B12, folic acid, and zinc. And if you know anything about nutrition, all these are directly involved in the metabolic processes of your body and just kind of metabolizing your carbs, proteins, and your fats. Mm -hmm. So what about alcohol and weight maintenance? So alcohol use can cancel out quote-unquote gains from your workout. So consuming alcohol after a workout, which, I mean, if you're taking the time to work out, you're probably not doing a lot of that, but (laughs) it can uh, cancel out any physiological gains you may have received from exercise. So not only does long-term alcohol use diminish your protein synthesis, which will result in a decrease in your ability to build muscle, even short-term alcohol use can impede your muscle growth. So alcohol even causes dehydration and slows down the body's ability to heal. Speeding the recovery of sore muscles and even injuries is optimal for just exercise. And alcohol is a toxin that travels through your bloodstream to every organ and tissue in your body, causing dehydration and slowing down your body's ability to heal itself. I mean, Britney Spears was right when she said that it was toxic. (laughs) Oh my gosh. (laughs) Really? Yes. Yes, I did. Okay. So, also, alcohol use prevents muscle recovery. So, because of alcohol's effect on your sleep, your body is robbed of a precious uh, chemical called human growth hormone, or HGH. You have probably heard this before, but human growth hormone is part of the normal muscle building repair process and part of your body's way of telling itself that the muscle does need to grow bigger and stronger. Some people will even take supplements to increase this, but Mm -hmm. alcohol will decrease the secretion of human growth hormone by as much as 70%. So that's a lot, you know. (laughs) So when alcohol is in your body, it triggers the production of a substance in your liver that is actually directly toxic to testosterone, and testosterone is essential for the development of recovery of your muscles, whether you're male or female. You know, Mm -hmm. females have testosterone too. Yes. Alcohol use also, uh, as we went over before, it also depletes your source of energy. So once alcohol is absorbed through your stomach and your small intestines and finally go into your cells, it can disrupt the water balance in your muscle cells, which usually alters their ability to produce ATP, which is a form of, which is a, your muscle's form of energy. ATP provides the fuel necessary for your muscles to contract. And even alcohol directly reduces energy sources by inhibiting a process known as gluconeogenesis in which glucose is formed from other substances other than glucose. So when alcohol is oxidized by a alcohol dehydrogenase, which is an enzyme, it produces an increase in the elevation NADH. So what are the risks of drinking alcohol if you really need us to tell you? (laughs) So if you didn't already know, alcohol will impair your judgment. And there's actually a, 
there's a huge risk of this. So it's, it, I'm going to try not to laugh, but they're actually, this has happened to people. It is mm-hmm. actually possible to drink too much alcohol and then to choke on your own vomit. This happens more than we know, but mm-hmm. you can actually die from that. I mean, you can obviously, the long-term effects of alcohol are, it's not good for your liver and you can die from that. But this is an actual short-term effect. You you can choke on your own vomit from this. And mm-hmm. large amounts of alcohol can actually cause a person to go into a coma-like state and stop breathing. So the level of risks increase as the more you drink and, like, the more drunk you are. So not a good idea just for, you know, life in general. But also, like, you, you this is not the way you want to go. Stop laughing. <laughs> so, moral of the story: calm, calm down, calm down. With right? The yeah. Like, there's, yeah. Must stop. Yes. So, are there <laughs> are there health conditions that make alcohol more dangerous? Yes, of course. Alcohol causes and worsens many health conditions, especially in large amounts. If you have high blood pressure, cardiovascular disease liver conditions, conditions that make you bleed easily, mental health issues, or any other serious health problems, alcohol may cause you greater harm than it does the average person. I mean, alcohol is considered not only a toxin, but also a carcinogen. And I don't want to have to say this, but some people require me to say this, but drinking while pregnant can actually harm the fetus, particularly drinking heavily in the early stages. There is no proof that the occasional small drink when pregnant is harmful, although there have not been enough research to rule this out. I want to, I saw something on social media recently and I, it caught my attention, but Mm -hmm. I want to know your opinion on it too. So we know that kombucha has a very small amount of alcohol. What do you think about pregnant people drinking kombucha? First off, kombucha tastes terrible. Uh, what? I fucking love kombucha. Whoa, we got kids here. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> um, but in all, have you ever tried kombucha beer? I did. Uh, no, I haven't. Oh, it. Oh. <laughs> I can drink that shit like Kool Aid. It's so good. This. <laughs> I can't take you seriously. <laughs> So kombucha, I don't know. I wouldn't make it a regular thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's. I know there's not enough research to to contraindicate that having a small drink every so often will be okay. Mm-hmm. But I feel like if you're pregnant, might as well make sure you don't have any risk whatsoever mm-hmm. damaging the fetus or sticking to the regular foods that you can tolerate while you're pregnant would be my best advice. I mean, kombucha is a relatively new thing. but Well, I mean, it's been around for years, but it's a relatively new thing on today's market. Right. I just, I would say don't risk it. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I would, you know, advise too. But it's odd because I I follow this... um, this dietitian on social media and she's pregnant and she was drinking kombucha and she 
even went as far to say as, you know, I don't, I haven't drank alcohol in a long time. They should put a nutrition warning on kombucha saying that it contains alcohol because I'm feeling tipsy. And I'm like, um, do you really need a nutrition label to tell you that kombucha has alcohol and you're a dietitian? And then she followed that up with saying like, oh, haha, they actually do have one. And I was like, uh, well. (laughs) Well, I mean, the majority of us are fine. (laughs) Right. I uh, I mean the the amount of alcohol in kombucha is so small. I mean they don't ID you when you buy it. You know it's it is small, and I will say not everybody even has access nor the desire to drink kombucha. So it's mm-hmm. more so in those that are have higher income that are associated with drinking kombucha, or has it more readily right. available. Right. But if you have it every so often, I think it's fine. But mm-hmm. if you have it on a pretty regular basis, like if you are the type of person that goes to Starbucks every single day for a huge ass grande latte, mm-hmm. then don't do it. But mm-hmm. every once in a while to help kick that coving, I, I don't see anything wrong with it personally. Right. I just, it, you know, knowing she's a dietitian, knowing she's pregnant, and. <laughs> It just was, it was odd to me. And I'm like, I know it's a small amount of alcohol. I don't, it might, it's probably less than a percent. Right. So It probably is. Because it doesn't but, even tell you the percent. It just says contains alcohol. Well, it's, it's probably the same thing with labels where it may <laughs> say right. Right. it has a little bit, but mm-hmm. not, I don't know. Right, right. So moving on, we're going to talk about mixing alcohol with other drugs, and combining drugs usually increases the risks, as well as killing people on its own. A very significant proportion of deaths from drug poisoning are caused by alcohol taken in combination with other drugs. So alcohol is a depressant, and when taken with other drugs that have depressant properties, the effect is multiplied and very exaggerated. So mm-hmm. alcohol addiction and tobacco addiction are tightly associated with high proportions of people dependent on one substance are also dependent on the other. And alcohol seems to make people enjoy smoking more. And a common trage- trajectory of addiction is people progressing from only smoking when socializing and drinking to smoking all the time. That's such a true statement, though. I've mm-hmm. met a couple people who they they tell me, oh, I don't smoke. I was like, okay. Mm-hmm. And they say, oh, but if I drink, I might have one or two cigarettes. I was like, oh, you still smoke. Right. I mean, it's a pretty common theme, I feel. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. They're very associated. You know, whether it's from a social standpoint or from a physiological standpoint, I they're, they're just associated. Mm-hmm. And then next thing moving on is, is alcohol addictive? Alcohol dependence, also often called alcoholism, is common. So dependence on alcohol means that the user has lost some or all control over the use of alcohol and are likely to suffer withdrawal effects if they do not drink. This is more common in men, although women who are alcohol dependent usually suffer more severe harms as a result of alcoholism. And not everyone who drinks alcohol is equally at risk of becoming dependent. 
So drinking from an early age and using alcohol as a tool to kind of get rid of stress and anxiety are just some factors associated with drinking too much and becoming dependent. Alcoholism can run in families due to both genetic reasons and the influence that people are exposed to. So traumatic experience early in life, such as abuse, increase the chances of becoming alcohol dependent. So does this mean you should stop drinking alcohol entirely? Well, if we scared you by now, you probably already stopped. <laughs> but Oh my gosh. But in all honesty, a moderate alcohol use for healthy adults, quote unquote, means up to one drink a day for women of all ages and men older than 65, and up to two drinks a day for men 65 and younger. So examples of one drink include beer, which is 12 fluid ounces, wine, which is 5 fluid ounces, and distilled spirits, which is 80 proof. So keep that in mind when we say one drink. Right, exactly. So while moderate, there is some association with, you know, wine being good for heart health because of the resveratrol and whatnot. Um, the key is moderation with that. And, mm-hmm. you know, we there's the Mediterranean diet and the whole diet in general tends to be associated with heart health. And red wine is just one of those pieces. But again, one glass of wine is five ounces. It is not the entire glass. It's not the big wine glass you bought off of like Amazon that fits a whole bottle, like five ounces. <laughs> That is the serving size that has been shown to have some heart health benefits, but it's super important to remember that, like, there's so many other factors that go along with it. So eating a healthy diet and being physically active have much more health benefits than just that one glass of red wine. Mm -hmm. So make sure you've got those two things in check first. Your diet is good. Your physical activity is good. And then moderate alcohol intake is, you know, it might be beneficial. But Mm -hmm. if those other two things aren't in check, you're probably doing just more harm than good. And Mm -hmm. even for light drinkers who have, um, like, no more than one drink per day, but they're constantly, quote-unquote, light drinkers, even though the risk is small, they do have some risk of cancer, such as esophageal cancer, Remember how we said earlier that alcohol is a carcinogen. So mm-hmm. even light drinking one to two drinks per day has the risk of cancer, but it might be good for your heart. So, <laughs> so I mean, that, take from that what you will. That actually reminds me of a of a post that I reposted just a couple of days ago. From I think some- I know the one. <laughs> so basically a couple of years ago I was listening to a webinar about I believe breast cancer mm-hmm. and it was basically saying that three drinks a week will ultimately increase the risk for breast cancer mm-hmm. and they said how women usually respond with I don't care <laughs> so oh my gosh so that's just one study but it just cracks me up so we're we're gonna spew all these statistics and whatnot at you guys but ultimately the decision will be up to you guys and take take with it what you will right exactly and my little tip is if you are going to drink just make sure you're hydrated before you know 
some people will even say eat a, a salty snack before, um, salted cashews or something because the sodium does help with your water retention. And then just taking B vitamins because alcohol will dehydrate you. And most of the time, the hangover and the headache you're getting is from one, dehydration, and two, all your uh, B vitamins are kind of, they were flushed out because you were dehydrated. So Mm -hmm. replenish with those before you start drinking, stay hydrated before, while, and after, and salt helps retain the water that you're working so hard to drink. So. Just a little side note there to help alleviate the hangover risks and whatnot. Mm -hmm. But yeah, let's jump into our social media shout out. So this week's goes to Katen Carroll. And she is a caffeine addict and country music lover. So can we please be friends? Because (laughs) I'm also a caffeine addict and country music lover as well. (laughs) So I feel you, girl. And she is a UCA dietetic intern and a grad student. And just based off of her Instagram profile, it is clear that it's abundantly clear that your community involvement is there. And we just want to say thank you for your support from day one. So if you would like to be our next uh, social media shout out, don't forget to like, comment, or leave us a review. And it also helps if your profile is public so we can just stalk y'all. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we definitely want to see what you guys are posting, and yeah, if your profile is public, it helps us out. Yeah, and if you guys want to tag us in some pictures, we'll yes. give that a look, too. Yes, we notice. so <laughs> show us your stuff. <laughs> yes. So, awesome. Yeah, so with that being said, we want to close out the episode, and thank you guys so much for tuning in this week. Yep, thank you. We'll catch you next time. Uh, bye, bye. Guys. Thanks for listening to the Keeping It Juicy podcast. Your main squeeze in nutrition. Don't forget to subscribe so you can join us every Tuesday for a brand new episode. Also, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Keeping It Juicy Podcast. We'd love to hear from you, so please leave us a review. Five stars, no less. On whatever platform you're listening to, or send us an email at keepingitjuicypodcast at gmail.com. Or if you have any topics you'd like for us to touch upon, shoot us an email. Until next time, don't do anything that I wouldn't do.